In a classroom, our students range from passionate believers to doubtful skeptics. Why should I learn what you are telling me? That's again the art of leadership. Leaders ultimately persuade and influence and help people discover what's good for them. That was Dr. Valib Sambamurthy, or as his students and faculty call him, Dean Samba. Dean Samba is the Albert O. Nicholas Dean at the Wisconsin School of Business and a leading expert on how businesses compete in the digital economy. His work is also focused on digital business transformations, strategic alignment, governance, and innovation, to to mention just a few. And he received his PhD from the University of Minnesota, his MBA from the Indian Institute of Management, and his BE from the National Institute of Technology. We are very excited to welcome Dr. Valab Sambamurthy to Hashtag Midwest and the Executive Stories podcast. Thank you, Dean Samba, for joining us. Good morning, Kareem. It's a great pleasure to be here with you, and thank you for inviting me to this conversation. Uh, <clears throat> I am Valab Sambamurthy, or commonly known as Dean Samba at the Wisconsin School of Business. I've been a leader of this institution for the past two and a half years, but uh, I have been a professor for nearly 30 years. And uh, my area of expertise is how technologies uh, help companies and society. And uh, I'm really excited to talk with you this morning about topics about organizations, leadership, and society. That really makes your role very unique. I see it as an intersection of technology, business, and leadership. And it's very unique because your official title is the Alberto Nicholas Dean of the Wisconsin School of Business in the University of Wisconsin-Madison. For us leaders like myself, development, the development of leaders is kind of part of our role as leaders, right? But we have functional roles on top of that, whether that's marketing, operations, or whatever it may be. But you are actually a leader of an organization whose business is in developing leaders. Tell me a little bit more about about your experience and your background that prepares you for, that prepared you for a role like this. It's a great question. Uh, And actually, I really love the way you framed it. I had not thought about us that way, but that's really puts into perspective what we do. I'm going to separate uh, my answer to you in three parts. First is uh, my own choice to be a professor and now a a dean. And uh, what type of experiences uh, led me and shaped my own evolution as a leader. Then I'll talk about... um, what we see as our contribution in leadership development. And third, we can explore uh, what's currently happening in business and what what does leadership mean? So a little bit about my own evolution. Um, I would describe myself first and foremost as a boundary spanner, somebody who has got immense curiosity. And while not sounding rash, is willing to take risks and experiment. So what do I mean by that? As a boundary spanner, my own education began as an engineer. And then I went on to business school 
and loved marketing. So I was a marketing professional. And then at some point, I began to observe that the big change that was coming was companies were going to invest in technology. In those days, it was called information systems, but it seemed like it would be a fascinating place where organizations would need to master change around technology, people, culture, and process. So at each step of the way, I changed my focus and my career from an engineer to a marketing manager to a professor, including uprooting myself from India and coming here for a fresh start. And I thought that that was really rewarding because I, I took the chance every time, I experimented, and I learned something new, and that was very fulfilling. So today we say one of the fundamental elements of leadership for today's businesses is leaders who are not just passionate, but who don't grow comfortable with what they do, right? Who are willing to step out boldly into something new. So that was one. Secondly, uh, my own uh, evolution over 30 years was um, fundamentally you have to love people. Ultimately, education is a people business. Right, right. As I've often said, every year I walk into a class and it's a new set of students. Let's call them strangers. And your reputation can only carry you so far. In those 14 weeks, you have to earn the trust of a new group. You have to show them that, that you have an impact on their learning and their development and offer to be a mentor or a partner friend for life. So I call this the SWIFT trust process. You know, you're introducing yourself to strangers and at the end of 14 weeks, developing relationships that last a life. I still hear from my students from 25 years ago. That must be an amazing feeling to, to have, it is a <laughs> to great go through feeling. that. It is, a, it is a great feeling when you look back and look at the lives you have influenced. But that's what leadership is about. Mm -hmm. right? Leadership is about enabling others' success. And I have felt as a professor, when I step back, that is what professors do. They now their audiences are not homogenous. In the classroom, our students range from range from passionate believers to doubtful skeptics. Why should I learn what you are telling me? Why is this useful? So, how do you convert the beliefs when they're not homogenous? That's, again, the art of leadership, because leaders ultimately persuade and influence and help people discover what's good for them. So that's another element that I discovered. And the last element I will add is, today, leadership is about being an entrepreneur of new ideas, change, and so on. Mm -hmm. As a professor, we are entrepreneurs of ideas. Research is about discovering something new as an idea and believing in discovering uh, knowledge around that idea and then communicating that knowledge. 
when we publish, we have to convince reviewers that this is a good idea. When we build a new course, we have to convince the students that this is a course that will be good for your development. Right? So the chance of success is not guaranteed, but that's what entrepreneurs do. Entrepreneurs love taking a chance and proving success. So publishing and teaching new courses is about believing in your idea, rolling with the punches. There is failure. My publication success rate is 10%, meaning that only 10% of what I wrote, <laughs> the world found out because only 10% of it survived the reviewing process. Wow, that's very that interesting. I don't think very, a lot of people that, know that. That can be very, very uh, challenging. I'll confess to you that when I started my career and I got my first rejection, my world just crashed in on me. I went home. I climbed into bed, pulled the covers over my face and said, I'll never be successful <laughs> as a researcher. <laughs> Today, it still hurts. But the joy of success is totally yours. But this is what leaders and entrepreneurs do, right? Not everything they touch is successful, but they learn to embrace failure, challenges, and success. So you can see that I really love the profession. And ultimately, I'll say that professors, beyond the knowledge they deliver, they role model behaviors so that their students can observe them and internalize some of those behaviors and grow into the leaders of the future. And that's the joy of being in what you call a leadership development environment. Very good. Uh, that's a that's a great answer, Dean Samba. And a lot of that I can I can definitely relate to as a fellow immigrant myself and as someone who has jumped from one profession to another, whether yes. that's in engineering, teaching at a university, and then moving around in different engineering roles or technology yeah. roles and business roles. And there has been a lot of uh, publications, books, um, articles written about how creativity and and actual novel solutions and thinking come out of out of the intersection of different types of experiences, right? So that's that's amazing, and it just it just one more argument towards really creating the diversity of experience is what creates this really powerful leader. Indeed. And if I can add to that, I used to call myself in the last 15 years as an imposter. <laughs> and then I've heard more people talk about the imposter challenge or the imposter mentality. What do I mean by that? It's uh, the diversity of experiences. Do you seek them? Do you thrive in them? So every five years, I have uh, said to myself, what's the next challenge? And put myself into a place which had nothing to do with what I was doing the previous five years. And believe me, it was not easy because now you are an imposter. You are walking into a new group. You're walking into a new environment. 
where your past is no barometer or assurance of success. And it can be a little bit intimidating. But having done that, becoming a department chair when I had no experience, and you said that in industry, you are groomed for the next step. In academics, you are never groomed. You are selected because it looks like you can do a good job. And then when I became a department chair, I suddenly realized this had nothing to do with research and teaching. This was about managing people, managing finances, setting a strategy, uh, managing uh, alumni communications, traveling, a very different ballgame, you know. So it was intimidating, but it was fun because it uh, forced me and it offered me a chance to learn something new. Right. Becoming a dean was not scripted. It was not my life aspiration to become a dean. <laughs> <laughs> but I chose wisely. Wisconsin has been a great place. I said to them, you had me at hello. <laughs> and uh, so, but it required me to suddenly go from being an introvert to somebody who thrived with people, somebody who thrived in uh, uh, conversations with uh, alumni, with donors who wanted to know what's the vision and how are you going to steward this institution we are so passionate about, right? So, so the lesson I've learned and hopefully convey is that never be afraid of stepping out. That's a good lesson. Thank you. So Dean Samba, given your experience in this field, I definitely want to take the opportunity to pick your brain a little bit on some business concepts I'm running into. Um, one of these things is um, what's going on right now in the industry. We are very familiar with what what the media and what a lot of organizations are uh, calling as the great resignation in the past in the past two years that's happening right now. The last num number that I saw is from Fast Company, which said that a record 47.4 million Americans quit their jobs last year. Wow. Yeah. What should companies and company leaders do about this? How will the best leaders lead through this? Great question. You know, some elements of the great resignation relate to what was always on the minds of people. Um, the COVID and the two years of different and alternative model of work that was forced upon us as a nation, as a world, opened the eyes, particularly of employees, that it doesn't have to be the same way as it was before. Sometimes they say adversity forces us to re-examine. Right. So the great resignation is really a reflection of a few, what I believe are macro trends, which were already bubbling underneath the surface but have come out into bold relief. What are they? First, there's an old theory called Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm -hmm. which is that we as individuals, we first look for security, economic, physical, and uh, 
being well-fed. Right? Those are our base needs. But those are not the ones that keep us going for 50 years of a productive career. He talks about, fundamentally, we are driven by self-actualization, a feeling of being valued, a feeling of alignment between what we enjoy and what we are asked to contribute. So underlying the great resignation, there has been this macro trend that as you look at uh, the younger uh, employees who are coming to work, and my two daughters are an example of that, there is a lot more passion about what's the purpose of business. And we firmly today have an expanded view of what's the purpose of business. There are people who talk about stakeholder capitalism. I like to call it the purpose of business. And the purpose of business today is beyond profit, not in place of profit, but beyond profit <clears throat> to people, to the planet, and to society. So employees are bringing their passion to the workplace and asking for the workplace to provide them a platform which reflects similar values. You know, Think about companies like Google and Facebook and Twitter. Their employees, they get uh, passionate about what causes their company supports or does not support because they do not see a, a boundary or a distinction between I go to work and then I pursue my passion outside of work. It's the melding. Right? Mm -hmm. Secondly, uh, in this, there is a, uh, we've always talked about work-life balance, but the approach to work-life balance was a prescriptive, there is one way. And sometimes we as leaders exhorted people to focus on work-life balance, yet really did not offer the path to that work-life balance. So sometimes in companies, employees and exec, uh, colleagues felt, yeah, it rings hollow because you're still asking me to do things the way it should be done and then seek work-life balance, but how does that make sense? So the COVID, I call it, was a time of great experimentation. It was a time where we discovered that uh, we could be human. I mean, think about uh, so many of our Zoom meetings where we saw the nice paintings on people's home walls we got introduced to their pets. We got introduced right. to their kids and it humanized us, right? So it is difficult to go back to those uh, 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 walls of an office. So the great resignation is a sense that it can be done where we can be able to express ourselves. So what is the leadership message? The leadership message is really even more firmly to look at employees as partners, as collaborators, or what I call co-creators of the working space. To shed the belief that if you are not working in the office, you are not adding value. Now, there are some things which are still important. So let's take, if your customer never sees you, is that a sustainable thing? But Today, technology and cultural acceptance has given us a place where we can look at reinvention of work to add flexibility, 
to build more trust around employees, to look at them as co-creators or partners. There are still some challenges. In this dispersed workplace, what is the culture of the place? How do you welcome newcomers? Those are challenges. So a lot of thought is needed today from leaders to say, once again, as I said before, be willing to experiment, be willing to trust, and re-emphasize what's the purpose of the organization. Still don't lose sight of uh, what value you create with your customers, but maybe there are different ways of creating. So what's the message from my perspective, because we're practicing this at the Wisconsin School of Business, have open conversations, be willing to listen, and be willing to adapt and experiment. Uh, very different from being assertive, directive, and saying, no, this is the way. And that's what more and more companies are doing. And I feel pretty confident we will discover a new way. And as we all say, when the COVID is over, we will not return to the old normal. We will pivot to a new normal. And that new normal is something that's being reinvented as we speak, but it's being reinvented not by a consultant, but with every organization between the employees and the leaders in a co-creation manner. And that's what I find is to be exciting. That is, uh, that is really good. Thank you. You mentioned about the purpose of business, and I, I read, and I wasn't actually familiar with this before, that in 2019, there's this group, the Business Roundtable, consisting of major CEOs uh, of leading companies in the U.S., like redefined the purpose of business, yeah. which used to be for shareholders, and now it's for <laughs> all stakeholders, right? So yes. I think what you just mentioned really, really emphasized, like, what that looks like and how that manifests and how organizations can really can really embrace and implement that new purpose of business. But I am wondering though, given the challenges that you mentioned, how far along really are businesses in embracing this idea that the purpose of business is to serve all stakeholders, not just the shareholder, not just to make money like back in 1997, <laughs> right? So is this really happening? Are, are, are organizations really embracing this? And, and are they, are they, are, are the organizations who are embracing this realizing value out of this new purpose? Yeah. Great question. Um, I'll say once again, the, the forces sweeping us to where we are today did not happen three years ago. They were bubbling. I remember even 10 years ago, many of my fellow professors in accounting were talking about how do you measure environmental sustainability in the same way that you can measure profitability. There was work going on in business schools about developing balanced scorecards, which uh, convey the message that shareholder value and profits are still important, but not the only thing. That measuring environmental sustainability, uh, measuring uh, 
customer satisfaction, but also employee growth. Employees, those are important measurements, right? So that was going on. There has been a lot of work being done over the last five plus years on sustainable supply chains, including what is eco-sustainable packaging. Uh, retailers have begun to realize that 60% of a product on the shelf is packaging, which does not add value. It is there simply to make it efficient to stock and display. And that when a customer goes home and buys a CD and strips out all that packaging and throws in, that's an eco disaster waiting to happen. Right. So there has been a lot of movement towards sustainable supply chains, eco-friendly product design and so on. But in the last three years, I can say we are seeing more of the tectonic shift going on in a couple of ways that you alluded to. And this is not just about the planet or the climate change. It is there. It is fundamentally because you look at the generation, you are a part of that generation. My daughters are a part of the generation. We, I call them the digital natives because they're very conversant with technology, but they're more than that. Their sense of what defines their purpose on earth is very different. <laughs> and they are the employees. They are the customers. They are the stakeholders. They are demanding an accountability that goes beyond shareholder value. Right? Take examples. Uber and Airbnb are demonstrating that this generation does not believe in asset ownership. They believe in consumption, sharing. Right? So we are now no longer in an ownership economy. We are in a sharing economy. Part of it is, is better consumption of what's available on earth. Right? So that powerful voice of stakeholders of a business is challenging an expansion of agenda. So what? So why are uh, why are we seeing greater conversations? Because successful companies realize that that middle space is where leaders meet the the future leaders of tomorrow, who are demanding. In the business school at Wisconsin, in my first week, I had undergraduate students, freshmen, ask, demand to see me and ask me where in the curriculum were they going to see a focus on environmental sustainability. Wow. <laughs> so they're not asking me, please. They're asking to be co-creators in their learning experience, right? And these are the employees of the future. Uh, talk about, so what is this doing? It has made business leaders aware. Many of the companies that hire our students, many of our alumni increasingly say, if you want to go to Wall Street, having some environmental sustainability and governance knowledge skills is a plus because more and more companies are demanding that when you make your investment choices, um, that 
the 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 commitment to a broader agenda should be a part of the purpose of a business boards in the recent past even in the oil and energy industry boards are beginning to reconstitute themselves with the uh, new board members who are not uh, you know uh, radicals they are business people but who recognize there must be a broader purpose of business you see mary barra's commitment at gm mm-hmm. to electric vehicles in the near future the whole conversation of electric vehicles is no longer should we but it is how soon right so i think i use the analogy of tectonic shifts the next stage of tectonic shifts has begun to happen and this is for real and we are beginning to not beginning to we are begin uh, we we already had some coursework but we are now redesigning all our programs with the focus on environmental sustainability and governance as a key uh, mindset and we are not alone other business schools are doing that too not just because we believe it because our students demand it and these are the leaders of tomorrow yeah they are the leaders and the consumers right, right. um they right. will be the ones who will who will be part of a business's success or failure yeah So speaking of speaking of uh, the new purpose of business, and then you mentioned a company like uh, General Motors, for instance, a yeah. company who's been around for for quite some time. Yeah. In my experience, there are still companies who are not agile, who are still struggling with this idea of the digital economy and yes. the new stakeholders, right? Like the digital natives, for example, and are struggling with agility as the environment changes. Um, in the last two years, we have the issue with talent, we have the issue with supply chain, a lot of things happened. So some companies are able to adapt effectively to to change and some don't. Um what what distinguishes the successful companies from those who flounder or flat out become obsolete? Great question and you know that's been the focus of my research for the last uh, five plus years. It's been something that I have spent time in executive education and consulting. something that we are embracing into the new curriculum at the Wisconsin School of Business i would answer that by saying there are a few elements but the most most prominent element is what i would call leadership mindset and that leadership mindset is not new it has just been reinforced even more strongly um that leadership mindset is a commitment to change enablement of change and significant tolerance of risk taking and experimentation let me add some color to that today every successful firm realizes that success or continued success is not guaranteed unless they adapt and pivot at lightning speed they do no longer have the luxury to ask the question should we because in industry after industry the competition is coming or what we call disruption is coming not from fellow players in that industry whether it's banking or whether it be uh, retailing 
it's coming from two sets of new players. One is what we call them the digital giants. And they're the handful of companies like uh, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, now Uber. They're called digital giants because they were born in the last 20 years. Apple reinvented itself. Uh, think about at the turn of the century, we did not know about Google. Today, we just don't just know about Google, we know about Alphabet. So they're coming in with a, steeped into their DNA is an awareness that technology and digital platforms can help redefine every form of interaction, whether it's the customers, suppliers, or employers, it's in their DNA. And they can, they they are primed to ask the question, what is missing? I call it discovering the latent needs. They are primed for that. But the most important thing they're primed to do is experiment. They, 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 do, they do not use the word failure. They call it an experiment. And experiments are not always fully successful. One of the interesting things is if you look at companies like Amazon, Alphabet, Apple, and so on, and Netflix, one of the key metrics they now focus upon is how many experiments did we run this week? How many experiments did we run this month? Right? That's a very different mindset, which incumbent firms do not have because incumbent firms feel like, gee, every experiment that we run and fails is a drain on our profitability and how are we going to explain to our shareholders? But if you don't experiment, test and learn, you're not going to discover things you don't know. That's what I call the mindset, the digital innovation mindset. That's what gives you agility. Now, how do you do that? You do that by empowering everybody in the organization and being willing to participate in what we call open innovation networks. The traditional mindset of not invented here, meaning that if we didn't do this internally, then we're not going to embrace it, is simply not viable. Right. So open innovation is here to stay. And how do you attract people with their ideas, even if they don't work for you? That's, again, a digital innovation mindset, right? So take an example of a company like Capital One. You must have seen that commercial, What's in Your Wallet? Mm -hmm. One of the things that they have done is built these Capital One innovation labs in their different offices. Any employee can go and test out an idea for a new app or tweaking a website because anybody who is interacting with the customer might say, hey, there's a better way of doing these things. So it's about unleashing and empowering innovation as opposed to the traditional mindset that we have an R&D lab and everybody else just uh, does what they tell us to do. So these are all elements of significant change in culture and mindset to unleash uh, ideas and creativity across the enterprise. Be willing to partner with the new digital giants, with the entrepreneurial startups, and above all, a tolerance for risk-taking. I think that's the key. And that's not easy. Right, right. And it really it really requires innovation and that culture of experimentation to become part of the DNA, 
right? It's yeah. not yeah. everyone needs to have that, that to develop. Everyone needs to develop that as opposed to, right. like you mentioned, being. Right. And it's not easy to talk about your agility. If you are a successful company, the biggest challenge for you is how do you motivate yourself <laughs> to recognize that your success is not forever? Right, right. There is a wonderful body of work done by the late professor Clay Christensen from Harvard. And his work was, why do innovators die? Or why do successful companies not successfully perpetuate themselves? And his uh, argument, which makes sense, is that sometimes success sows the seeds of your destruction. Because you get you build a whole organization and a culture to perpetuate that product or that success and you become blinded to that underneath the surface things are changing the classic example we all give is blockbuster very successful company yet failed to respond to the shifts that were happening and along comes netflix and at some point, Netflix overtakes Blockbuster and Blockbuster is unable to respond. Right. These stories are being repeated industry after industry, including my own industry. And so we have to be agile. <laughs> we have to say that one of the things we emphasize at the Wisconsin School of Business is that future leaders in our Trusted to Lead campaign will, know, will need to lead when there is no blueprint, right? Leadership, when there is a roadmap or a blueprint is challenging, but leadership when there is no blueprint is even more challenging. And that's the leadership call for today and into the future. So speaking of leadership and innovation, experimentation, um, related to that is entrepreneurship. What is yes. the role of universities and business schools in fostering a, a community or the, the ability to, to really create that entrepreneurship culture within, within, within yeah. the community, beyond the classroom? Yeah, great question. Um, today, we need to recognize that entrepreneuring is important, that there is a segment of uh, our students who, who are excited about a startup, but there is a broader segment, virtually the entire student body coming out of the Wisconsin School of Business, which should have in their DNA intrapreneuring, because intrapreneuring is the ability to ask challenging questions. I talked about uh, uh, lead when there is no blueprint, connecting the dots to tell a big story. These are the values. So what are we doing? We are embarking on a radical curriculum change for our undergraduate program. And one of the, the, the skills and mindset we're going to build into it is intrapreneuring creativity and innovation, that every student will have an experience, not just some students, every student, 
that they will bring to work. As my accounting colleagues say, even accountants <laughs> need intrapreneuring because the world of accounting is changing. Right. So students should have that. Now, it doesn't mean that all become they'll all become entrepreneurs, but the digital transformation challenge today is how do you build the mindset of an entrepreneur inside a company? Right, right, absolutely. Right. And so that's the purpose of business school education today. We have a very visible and a very successful Weinert Center for Entrepreneurship. And we are expanding its agenda. At the University of Wisconsin, there are many different uh, programs and initiatives to provide that entrepreneuring ability and mindset across the campus. We recently started a new initiative called Creative Destruction Lab, which is an initiative that brings together students, companies, venture capitalists, and entrepreneurs. And they evaluate startup ideas. Now, regardless of whether those ideas get funded, imagine what's an, what an awesome experience it is for our students to have a ringside view of how a business idea starts, what are the complicated twists and turns through which it pivots. Ultimately, the idea that you start with is not the idea you end up with. So that's what we call learning by doing. Right. And we are scaling such experiences across the whole breadth of our program. Now, we're also doing this because once again, our students are demanding it. Mm -hmm. The, 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 the students are coming, they come with that mindset. Sometimes, and even in high school, they've already experimented with building an app. They've already experimented with doing something differently in their neighborhood. So it's in their DNA. And what we need to do is build an experience to consolidate that. And that's, once again, something we are very committed to in our uh, undergraduate and master's degree programs. Dean Samba, does that also involve advice, uh, advising support from faculty or from WSB leaders? Very good. And in fact, yes, but it goes beyond that. It involves very intensive engagement and collaboration, not just support, from our alumni. Among our alumni community, there are many who have gone on to be entrepreneurs. And they are eager and willing and hungry to give back. One of the strengths of the Wisconsin School of Business is, I jokingly say, we invented applied learning that many business schools then called it experiential learning. And what does that mean? It means that the, the learning process at the business school is not just confined to our faculty and instructors. Many of our alumni who are leaders in industry, who are entrepreneurs, they, uh, they teach. They come over the weekends and they create uh, co-curricular experiences. Sometimes they uh, spend a whole weekend sharing stories. So our students really get a good 
experience with practice as much as they get with theory. Ultimately, that's what businesses, that's what we mean by trusted to lead because um, ultimately the purpose of business education is to provide a strong theoretical and conceptual foundation, but really wrap around that how do you lead? How do you practice? Because that the business challenges come unscripted. And more plays you practice while at school, though more experienced you are as a leader. And so that's important. So we call ourselves the perfect triangle, faculty and instructors, students, and alumni. And it's uh, our goal is to create a working space where they all come together in different ways. Well, speaking of alumni, I I was pleasantly surprised to to read that a business school in my backyard has the claim <laughs> to be uh, number one in producing Fortune 500 CEOs. Yes. And it's up there in the top tier also in the U.S. News and yes. World Report ranking of business schools. What are you excited about in the next couple of years for WSB? I saw that number just when I arrived here as Dean. And I said, wow, because that study puts us right up there with the more visible Ivy League schools. After spending three years here, I must say I am not surprised because what I see among our students and alumni are some fundamental values which cannot be coached. They are grit. Grit is the strongest word that comes to mind. Badgers don't build at the top. They build from inside. They they grow and um, they bring with them the sense of commitment that the road to success is not paved. It's not easy. And we've got the knowledge. We've got the skills. But I hear story after story of our alumni coming from small towns, small communities, and having a sense of purpose and finding their passion at the school, but then crafting their journey that's their own. And these are not just 18 people. There are many more of them. They are leading in different industries. One of the things I felt was we did not do a good job of telling that story. So it's your reaction. I said, wow, I can't believe that this is a school in my backyard. I said to myself, wow, I can't believe this is a school I just uh, joined to leave. (laughs) (laughs) So our Midwestern humility got in the way of telling true stories. So one of the campaigns we just launched is called Trusted to Lead. We took the stories of six of our next-gen leaders, and uh, we're telling their stories, and there are many others. And if you look at their stories, it's interesting because they exemplify the leaders of today and tomorrow. I'll give you some examples. Uh, They exemplify how to lead fast-paced changes in business. They exemplify how to chase dreams that don't come easy. We have an alum who had this dream and just could not let go, right? 
So decided to go all in. Similarly, stories of uh, having the confidence to create the unexpected. Or I will once again emphasize lead when there is no blueprint. So the answer to your question is industry and companies are changing right before our eyes. And uh, while we are delighted and ecstatic about that survey, what I'm equally excited is we are catalyzing that and galvanizing the leaders of the new tomorrow because the new tomorrow is going to be very different from the past. And uh, these uh, leaders, these alumni, they have taken their knowledge and skills. They practice some of their uh, skills while they were students here. But utmost, they once again represent what I said to you at the beginning of our conversation. They're willing to take risks. They're not afraid of being imposters. And they're willing to pursue their passion. In other words, they believe that that's the key to a rewarding life and success. And ultimately, I think that's the, the leadership model that will be more valid. And we are glad that we are setting the stage for the next generation of students to follow in their footsteps. Thank you so much, Dean Samba. This was such a great conversation. And I really, really appreciate the time that uh, you, you put into this for joining us today. Thank you so much. Is Thank there you, anything Karina. else we missed? Is there anything else you want to add? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation. I had not planned on what I would say. So kudos to you for skillfully making me think. <laughs> <laughs> and I've enjoyed this conversation. But I would certainly say that uh, three years is still three years. And we have really enjoyed. And what gets me excited is how so many of the ideas we discussed are embedded into the DNA of the University of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin School of Business. Leadership is a little bit easy when you don't have to command, but when you realize that there is a resonance between your view of the world and the colleagues you come to see every day. Our strategic planning process was an all-inclusive process, and we all discovered we had the same ideas, and that's what makes this to be a fun place to be a dean at and to have such conversations. So thank you. And I look forward to uh, hearing more of your uh, podcasts and commentaries because you're really playing a very valuable role in bringing Madison and Wisconsin to the world. Well, thank you. Our pleasure, my pleasure and uh, that of my colleagues as well. I wish you more success in WSB. We'll be watching your team as well as what's, uh, what comes out of WSB. Wishing you more success. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day.